this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. I don't think God only leads us in one way. I think He leads us in a variety of different ways, but I certainly believe that He leads us like this. Just with the supernatural thing where we're just, you know, being sort of led by the Spirit. We don't know exactly where we're going. We don't know exactly what we're doing, but... You know, we just sort of sense that, okay, I just think I'm supposed to do this. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Genesis chapter 24 in a message titled, Led by the Lord. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Perhaps you remember a while back, we actually did an overview of um, chapter 22 and 23. Just to refresh your memory, uh, chapter 23 records the death of Sarah and the purchasing of the field and the cave of Machpelah, where Sarah would be buried in. Abraham later and the other patriarchs. Sarah died at 127 years of age. Now, remember, Abraham was 10 years older than Sarah. It seems that we're following right along here. It doesn't seem that there's necessarily a time gap. So when it says, now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, He was probably 137 or maybe close to 140 years old. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughter's of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? But Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, to your descendants, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son Back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and he swore to him concerning this matter. So Abraham evidently believes that he doesn't have much time left. And so he's wanting to make sure that uh, Isaac is secured for in the future, and he's wanting 
as he stated here, to make sure that he doesn't marry into any of the, the tribes of the Canaanites. So he's sending his servant back. I think it's interesting, though, that Abraham says that by no means is Isaac to go back to where I came from. The promises, of course, that God had given to Abraham had to do with that, that piece of land, the land that we know today as the land of Israel. And so Isaac was not to go back to Mesopotamia. He was not to go back under any circumstances. He was to remain in the land that God had promised. And so as we carry on in the story, this is a fascinating story. This is actually the longest chapter in Genesis. It's quite a long chapter, but it's a fascinating account of how Abraham's servant goes and secures a bride for Isaac. So I'm just going to be reading through it and then making some application as we go. So picking up in verse 10, then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed for all his master's good were in his hand. Goods were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. Then he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master. Behold, here I stand by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. So here's the servant. He's taken this long journey of approximately 500 miles back to Mesopotamia. And there he arrives at the city of Nahor and at this well. And, you know, what an amazing request. He's asking God for some pretty specific things here. You know, he doesn't even really know who he's looking for. He doesn't have a photograph or anything to go by. <laughs> so he's just, there he is. And he's just dependent on the Lord. And so he prays and he asks for these very specific things. And listen to what happens. And it happened, verse 15, before he had finished speaking, that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin. No man had known her. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, drink, my Lord. Then she quickly let her pitcher down uh, to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have 
finished drinking. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water, and drew for all the camels. And the man, wondering at her, remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. So he hasn't even finished his prayer, that very specific prayer. And now Rebecca comes and she's doing exactly what he just prayed for. Seems like it's a little too good to be true. He's sort of wondering, could this really be happening? Verse 22, so it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrist weighing 10 shekels of gold and said, whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milka's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Moreover, she said to him, we have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge. Then the man bowed down his head and he worshiped the Lord. So realizing now that this is indeed a, a specific answer to his request. Now, let's read just a bit further and then come back and look at something. So the young woman ran, told her mother's household these things. Now, Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban and Laban ran out to meet the man by the well. So it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrist. And when he heard the words of his sister, Rebecca saying, thus the man spoke to me that he went to the man and there he stood by the camels at the well. And he said, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. Then the man came to the house and he unloaded the camels and provided straw and feed for the camels and whatever to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have told about my errand. And he said, speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly and he has become great and he has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants and camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old and to him he has given all that he has. Now my master made me swear saying, you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my family and take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, the Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper your way. And you shall take a wife for my son from my family and from my father's house. You will be clear from this oath when you arrive among my family. For if they will not give her to you, then you will be released from my oath. And this day I came to the well and said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, if you will now prosper the way in which I go. Behold, I stand by the well of water and it shall come to pass that when the virgin comes out to draw water and I say to her, please give me a little water from the pitcher to drink. And she says to me, drink and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman or let her be the one whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. 
But before I had finished speaking in my heart, there was Rebecca coming out with her pitcher on her shoulder. And she went down to the well, drew the water. And I said, please give me a drink. And she made haste, let her pitcher down from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will give your camels a drink also. So I drank and she gave the camels a drink also. Then I asked her and said, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, who Milcah bore to him. So I put a nose ring on her nose and bracelets on her wrist. And I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master, Abraham, who had led me in the way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, I know that's a lot of reading, so I'll stop for a few minutes. (laughs) But here's the thing. We all want to be led by the Lord. And I'm sure that many of you have had experiences where you're looking to discover God's will. And we're often baffled about just how exactly to do that. And I don't think that there's any one particular way that always happen or unfold uh, before us to reveal to us the will of God. I think there are probably a lot of different ways, but what I want to say is what we're reading about here is one of the ways that things do happen. Now, as we read this story, it's obviously there's something very supernatural happening here. Of course, the servant is being sent by Abraham. Abraham is sensing, obviously, that God is leading him to do this. But as he goes, I want you to notice his total dependency on the Lord and his deep conviction that God is going to direct him, that God is going to show him the right woman for Isaac. He has this deep conviction. And I believe that we, too, can have a deep conviction and a total expectation that when we are seeking God for his will, for direction, for his plan to be unfolded for our lives, we can have confidence that he's going to reveal that to us. And sometimes he will reveal it to us in evidently supernatural kinds of ways. This is a supernatural thing that we're reading about here. God is orchestrating these events and right down to the very specific thing that the servant is asking for, God is granting it right down to the smallest detail. And we're not just limited to what we can figure out. We're not just limited to assessing a situation and, you know, in our minds sort of being able to figure out, well, it looks like this might happen if I do this. And then if I, you know, thank God we're not limited to that. And, and that's what I am concerned about, that we don't miss out on this very real supernatural element in the leading of the Lord. Remember, we are told in the New Testament, I love this verse in Romans 15, verse 4. It says, the things that were written before were written for our learning, 
that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And this story, as well as many others, obviously, all of the others, this story is written to teach us something. And among other things, it's written to teach us that we can have expectation from God to guide and to lead us in a supernatural way. And I love this story simply because of that. It's so, it's so awesome, really, to just think that, you know, you can be praying for something like this. And as, even as you're praying, the Lord is answering it as you're praying. And there are things in our lives that as we're just trusting God and as there's that simple reliance on him, we're going to find that he's going to be going before us. And this kind of thing that we're reading about here tonight, which is, of course, miraculous, it's supernatural. This is the kind of thing that we can expect to have happen in our lives, not necessarily all the time. Like I said, I don't think God only leads us in one way. I think he leads us in a variety of different ways, but I certainly believe that he leads us like this. Just with the supernatural thing where we're just, you know, being sort of led by the spirit. We don't know exactly where we're going. We don't know exactly what we're doing, but, you know, we just sort of sense that, okay, I just think I'm supposed to do this. I think I maybe should do that. And then as time passes, you, you realize suddenly it all becomes clear you're right smack in the center of some great blessing that God had in store, some exciting thing that he wanted to do. I think we need to be, like this servant, a little more God-reliant and a little less man-reliant. Most of you know that we went to England, spent some years there, and some of the craziest things imaginable were the things that convinced me that we were supposed to go. Now, I've never been, you know, the kind of person that goes around looking for a sign anywhere and everywhere and, you know, thinking that, oh, you know, God's speaking to me through that bumper sticker there. <laughs> but I have to tell you, here's what happened. I was having a, a stirring in my heart over a period of time. And one day, as I was driving to the church that I was pastoring, I pulled up behind this big truck. You've probably seen these trucks around. A big truck that said England on it. And there was this coat of arms. And I was sitting there at the light behind the truck, just kind of staring at the thing, not necessarily even paying attention to the emblem or <laughs> the word there. But prior to that, for a, a season, there had been this, there had been like this stirring in my heart. I didn't, I didn't quite know what it meant. I just knew that as I would go into Eastern Europe and into Russia and these places, I just, I could just, there was something about it that I was just feeling more and more inclined to doing that sort of a thing. So I was feeling stirred and I didn't really know what it meant. And I loved the church that I was pastoring. It was a wonderful body of people and all that. I wasn't in 
even remotely discontent with what I was doing. But there was some sort of a story. So anyway, I'm sitting there at the light. I'm looking at the back of the truck. And suddenly, I, I focus in on this big, bold letters that say England. And as I'm sitting there staring at the thing, all of a sudden, I get this sense in my heart, the Lord wants me to go to England. Now, the first thought in my head was, that is ridiculous. That's nuts. God's not going to speak to me through the back of a truck. So my first inclination was just to ignore it and just say, okay, I don't know why. That's just one of those crazy thoughts that come into your head, and then you just dismiss it. So I did, and I went on about my business. The stirring was still there. A few days later, I was driving home, and that same truck (laughs) was right back there in front of me again. And so, again, I thought, wow, you know, that, that's kind of weird. But still, it's too weird. It's too weird for me to think that, you know, God was speaking to me. But that was the beginning of these, these little sort of messages that began to come to me from the Lord about England. Now, at the time that this was happening, there wasn't any thought in my mind that I was actually going to move there or do anything like that. But it was just a sense I began to get this conviction that I should go there. I should just go and see if the Lord might want to do something because we had been church planting and doing, you know, evangelistic outreach and all in different parts of Europe. So I just, I started to get the sense that we should go check things out in England. So here's what I did. So I wrote a letter. There were five affiliated churches in the UK at the time. And I wrote a letter to each one of them and just said, you know, thinking about and praying about maybe coming over and visiting and just would like to know if you guys would see any value in that. And, you know, that was pretty much the gist of the letter. Put it, put it in the mail, sent it off. And I didn't hear a thing for a few months. Uh, but I was still having this stirring. I was still having this sense that, you know, I was maybe supposed to go, but I, I had no word back from any of those guys. So I just began to figure that, well, maybe the Lord just wants me to go and not necessarily worry about that, but just go kind of scout out the land. I got a call. I was in Moscow, actually. I'd gone to Russia, and I got a call from the man who was the missions pastor at our church. And he said, you're never going to believe this conversation I just had. And I said, well, tell me about it. He said, well, I got a call from a man named John Vickery, who pastors a church outside of London, And he told me this amazing story. And then Fred was the guy's name. He went on to tell me the story. And and this, real quickly, this was a story. He had been praying for the Lord to give direction and vision and something, you know, something new. He was part of the the Calvary uh, Fellowship of Churches. But like I said, five small churches in the whole country. He was just, he was praying that the Lord would just do something uh, just to, you know, bring kind of the Calvary Chapel movement into the UK. And now let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource. One of my favorite authors is a man named Mark Sayers, and he's written a fantastic book called A Non-Anxious Presence. And in the book, Mark talks about 
us living in a gray zone. And what he means by a gray zone is that we're living in a time between two eras. One era is passing, but the other era is not completely upon us yet. And that leads to social, cultural, and sometimes even personal disorientation. And so this book is a fantastic book that will help us keep our bearings during this time by keeping our focus on Jesus and what God is doing in the world despite what is going on around us. So a non-anxious presence is my recommendation. I know that you will be blessed by it. Again, this month's resource is a book titled, A Non-Anxious Presence, How a Changing and Complex World Will Create a Remnant of Renewed Christian Leaders by Mark Sayers. You can order the book, A Non-Anxious Presence, by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, and then click on the Donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, A Non-Anxious Presence by Mark Sayers, to give you a clear picture of how personal renewal happens after a crisis. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.